Thank you very much. I want to talk today about how to exchange fear for awe. How to exchange fear for awe. And we're going to look at a passage in the Bible in Acts uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 19. So the Apostle Paul, uh, who here has just used the name Saul, uh, has encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's transformed his life. And then we hear what he went on to do next. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So I want to speak today about how to exchange fear for awe. One of the key tests that everyone faces in life is how will you respond to the fears that will inevitably come your way? What will you do with those fears that come just as part of life? Fear is one of the most primal of all emotions. We've just had our fourth little baby girl. And one of the things I've noticed at the birth of all four of our girls is that they came out crying. And you're delighted they come out crying. The reason they come out crying is because they're in this like wonderful temperature-controlled little portable caravan type thing. And then they come out into this room that's completely different, full of people they don't recognize. But when I held uh, my daughter just three weeks ago, there was in me a sense of fear, you know, so little, so fragile, so precious. But quite quickly, that fear turned to awe at the miracle, absolute miracle of this baby I was holding. My fear was displaced by my awe. And sometimes the fears we face can be helpful, you know, they keep you alive, but lots of fears we experience aren't helpful. Fear can corrode your confidence. It can inhibit you. It can even incapacitate you. It's one thing for fears to kind of fly around past our head. We all experience that from time to time. But it's another thing when fear seems to set up home in your heart so that wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whoever you are with, fear is there. One of my friends uh, was accused of professional misconduct at work, and he didn't think he'd done anything wrong. He, he wasn't especially worried about it, but then they had an investigation, and while the investigation was going on, fear kind of took a grip on him. 
And the way he described it, he said, you could be out for drinks on a Friday night with friends, having a great time in the city. And then suddenly you'd remember you're kind of carrying this thing on your back. And this fear would just flow from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. This kind of chill, this coldness would come over him. That's fear that's taken up residence in your heart. And it can be a fear of failing at work, making a big mistake, losing a client or a contract or a deal or even a job. Maybe it can be the fear of losing someone, the respect of people you admire. Maybe it can be the fear of not finding a relationship you long for can be the fear of being trapped in a relationship you don't long for. can be the fear of losing someone you love or missing out on your calling or losing a position or influence. But in the Bible, generally speaking, there are only two kinds of fear. The first is fear of the Lord, which is spoken of surprisingly positively. And then there's fear of every other thing. The fear of the Lord spoken so positively. What's interesting in our culture is that the incidence of fear, the growth in fear, generally speaking, there's numerous studies, books, the age of fear, the culture of fear, describing this increase in base levels of fear generally, at the same time as lots of people have absolutely no concept of the fear of the Lord. It's almost as if the fear of God decreases in our society all other fears increase. Like we've swapped out this really positive reverence and fear for God. And in exchange, we've got a thousand and one other fears. So what is the fear of the Lord? Why is it described so positively? And how might it help us face every other fear? Well, the first thing we see is it's important to focus your fears. God doesn't want you to live a life inhibited by fear. God loves you. He wants you to live free unafraid, full of confidence. One of the most common commands in the Bible is do not be afraid, have no fear. But it's so easy to let fear get the better of you. God wants us to feed our faith and starve our fears. But so often we starve our faith and we feed our fears. When I was at uni, um, for some reason, the university decided for my course that all the exams would be at the end of three years. You'd have no exams that really mattered, and at the end of three years, you'd have nine three-hour exams in six days. I don't know why they did that, but they did that. And so when you were going through those exams, it was slightly pressured, slightly tense, and I was just over halfway through them. It was a Saturday afternoon. Um, I only had one exam that day, so it was a good day. And uh, in, in the afternoon, I was kind of, I thought, I'll go for a walk. If you've got exams at the moment, go for walks. It's like a, it's, such a, such a good idea. You let your subconscious processes, which are more effective than your conscious processes, so it's like you're revising when you're not revising. It's a tip for free. And um, I went for a walk around the park, and uh, this last exam I had was on the Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. It was in criminal justice. My last exam, I really needed it to go well. And as I was walking around the park, I suddenly saw walking towards me was the professor of criminal justice for the whole university, the guy that actually sets the paper. And I was like, this is a miracle. This is an extraordinary coincidence. What can be the significance of it? And as I was coming towards him, I suddenly thought, oh, maybe I'll just you know, say hi or you know, crack a joke or something. And he got within earshot, and I looked at him, and I said, any hints for Monday? And he went, and carried on walking. And I was like, oh, that's not good. That's not good. Um, uh, why did he, what, did you not understand? Why did he do that? That's strange. I carried on walking. I said, it's probably all right. Um, he probably didn't hear what I said. 
Uh, I'm sure he doesn't recognize me. I'm one of 200 students on his course, and Monday's probably not a big day for him anyway. It's big for me, but not big for him. So I carried on walking, I thought it was fine. And then the fear started to rise in me, and I started to feed the fear, and I was thinking, what if he did hear me? What if he does recognize me? Like, like he's actually marking my final exam. That's not good, I need that exam. And the fear started to grow inside me, I started to feed my fear, and I was like, what if he heard me? What if he recognized me and didn't realize it was a joke? Like, what if he thought I was actually asking for information about the exam on Monday afternoon? That's even worse. That's really bad. I don't want that to happen. So I was walking around, just this fear was growing inside me. On the Monday afternoon, I turned up at the exam, and there he was, outside the front. He's not only set the exam and marking the exam, he's invigilating the exam. He's there during the exam hall. He can see me the whole time. I was like, what do I do? I was like, do I, do I kind of feed my face? Do I kind of feed my fear? Do I starve my fear? What do I do? And I was thinking, well, I could go up to him, and I could say, look, I'm so sorry. I don't if you recognize me. If you don't, don't worry about it. But if you do, um, you might remember that I spoke to you on, on, on uh, Saturday in the exam in the uh, park. And if you don't remember what I said, that's absolutely fine at all. We can end the conversation now. But if you do, you might have misinterpreted me as saying that I wanted to cheat in the exam. And I was kind of running through the scenario in my mind outside the exam. Or should I do it? Like double or quiz? I thought, no, 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 let's not do it. I managed to starve my fear. And I stepped back and probably saved my degree from that whole conversation, went through the test and everything was okay. And I got my degree and I could crack on. But it's so easy to feed your fears and starve your faith rather than feeding your faith and starving your fears. And it can be very different things. It can be when you're facing huge challenges, maybe you have a disagreement with a friend and you fall out and you can't see a way of that relationship being repaired. Maybe a relationship you've put all your hopes in is falling apart at the seams and you can't see how to put it back together again. Maybe you've experienced, like me, a period of real pressure at work, like I have in the past, and you kind of, it just seems to, like the fear gets in you. And you find yourself waking up at two o'clock in the morning with that kind of icy feeling in your stomach and looking around the house in the dark and just thinking, I'm not sure this is gonna be okay. So easy to feed your fears. What I find fascinating about this passage is Paul is facing huge challenges. He has every reason to fear. He's gone from persecuting people, arresting people, who follow Jesus, to trying to encourage people to follow Jesus. And in the process, he's lost his job, his position, his status, he's lost his social network, he's lost his influence, he's lost his credibility in the eyes of those he previously admired. Plus, when he starts taking a stand in Damascus, there is an actual conspiracy to murder him. They actually had a plan of how they were going to kill him. Followers, when he leaves there and goes to Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus there don't actually trust him. They, they don't want to welcome him because they're not sure about him. They initially reject him. And then there's another plot for the religious leaders to kill him. That is a lot. That's a lot to face. But through it all, what the passage says is he preached fearlessly. In the midst of all that, he preached fearlessly. He had every reason to fear, and yet he was fearless. Why? How? Well, I think the clue is that based on his example in this period, the church grew in strength and peace and lived in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. 
The fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. When the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit come together, God does remarkable things. The fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? It's described so positively here. There are 300 references in Scripture which encourage the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord brings blessing. The fear of the Lord brings joy. The fear of the Lord brings wisdom. There's a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah where he says, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean being frightened of God. God doesn't want you to be scared. He loves you. He wants you to be free from fear. But the fear of the Lord means to be so overwhelmed, so captivated, so full of awe and wonder at who Jesus is, at his holiness, at his beauty, at his majesty, at his glory, at his power and grace and love, that you are gripped with the deepest possible reverence for who he is and what he has done for you. The fear of the Lord, the right fear of the Lord, makes you completely and utterly fearless. Psalm 112, it says, those who fear the Lord are blessed. They will have no fear of bad news. They will not fear. It will, the fear of the Lord will displace, push away, drive out every other fear in your life. Josh is going to help me demonstrate this. So Josh, do you want to come up? Uh, so just as you go through normal life, fears can kind of come at you. You wake up in the morning, you get an email that makes you nervous. And it kind of comes at you and it can kind of get stuck in your life. And then someone's upset with you, you don't know why. And then there's a fear about what will happen with that job. And sometimes they're little fears, sometimes they're bigger fears. And all these things can come at you and they're coming at you and they're coming at you all day long. And sometimes they don't land, but sometimes they do. And... Um, <laughs> and... Um, the fears can come at you, and so without even realizing it, you can, you can just become completely consumed by the fears that have come at you in the course of a normal day, week, or month. Like they just fill up all of your headspace, all of your heart space. They just keep landing. It's like they've taken up root within you. And someone might say to you, I'll turn your, turn your fears into prose. Like, I'd love to, but I don't have the headspace. I don't have heart space for that. I'm so full of fear. It's like there's no room for God in my life. I wonder if you've experienced that. You just feel so full of fear. It's almost like God can't get in. That's one way of doing it. But there's another way of doing it. And that is to be so absolutely, completely, and utterly captivated by who Jesus is. Filled with awe from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet at who Jesus is. That you are so consumed by love and gratitude and awe and wonder at Jesus. By the fear of the Lord. That when the worries inevitably come your way, it's different. It's like you get on the tube, you get an email from someone. Well, I'm not too worried about email because I have... The pleasure of the Lord who loves me. Oh, that doesn't go as well as I hope, but it doesn't matter, actually. You know, oh, well, that's a bit worried. I might get worried about that, but I'm not going to be overly concerned about that. Oh, well, that person might not appreciate me at the moment, but I have the favor of the one who loves me more than anyone else. Oh, I might feel a bit guilty about that for a moment, but I know that in him there is no condemnation because I'm so full of him. And what happens is that rather than, rather than fear so filling you that there's no room for God, God so fills your heart and your mind that there's no space for those fears to land in your life. Thank you so much. Good job.
Don't let fear so fill your mind that they crowned out God. Let God so fill your mind that fear has no room to land. The fear of God is the antidote to every other kind of fear. When you're captivated by Jesus, you exchange fear for awe. So how do we grow in awe and wonder? Well, if awe and wonder are the antidote to fear, how do we, how do we kind of grow in them? How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? But the thing that changed Paul, the thing that made him fearless was an encounter with the risen Jesus. He thought he knew who God was, thought he knew everything there was to know about him, thought he understood who Jesus was. He'd kind of been aware of what Jesus had done. He'd pursued his followers. But when he encountered Jesus for himself, when he realized who Jesus actually is, heard his voice, saw his power, saw his beauty, realized how awesome Jesus is, it gave him this healthy, wonderful, positive fear of God. Because when you become aware of who someone actually is, it shapes how you feel about them, and it shapes how you respond to them. When I was, uh, when I was studying, um, I was asked with a couple of mates to come and help set up for a dinner. There was a dinner at this college, and they said, will you come and move some tables, and we'll give you a free meal. And I was like, yes, free meal, that sounds great. And uh, we came, we shifted some tables around, set things up for this big dinner, and then we came back later for our meal. And they, quite rightly, they placed us on like the furthest table away, kind of uh, right by the door, um, because we're the least important people there. And um, the meal was going well, we're enjoying it, me and my two mates, and then uh, just as we're eating, this guy kind of arrived through the door, and he looked a bit lost, and um, he kind of came over and said, do you mind if I sit with you? And we're like, no, no, it's fine, sit down. And so he sat down and started eating with us. And all I can remember is he's just so interested in us. He's like asking so many questions. I was like, this guy is friendly. Like, he was like kind of asking loads of stuff. You know, what, what are you studying? Um, what's your course like? Where are you from? So he said, Steve, what are you studying? I said, I'm studying law. He said, oh, wow, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm actually from, from Luton. And um, he said, oh, I've never been to Luton. Um, what's Luton like? I said, I'll tell you what Luton's like. And um, so we had a whole conversation about that. And, and then he said to me, um, Steve, do you, do you have any kind of faith? I thought, that's a question. And I said, well, well yeah, I, I do. But I, but I struggle at times, if I'm honest. And then he said, do you know Jesus? And I was like, who is this guy? Like, it's just like kind of... And at that moment, um, one of the people organizing the event came and kind of came in between us, leaned into him and said... Archbishop, we didn't realize you were here. Uh, we've got a seat for you on the, the high table right next to the Chancellor University. Please come quickly, come quickly. And he was like, oh, no, no, it's okay. I'm just, I'm just having lunch uh, with Steve. And uh, the guy was like, what? He said, no, 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 there's a seat for you right on the high table. Uh, we've been waiting for you. Um, we've got a special seat right next to the uh, Chancellor University. Very few. Will you come now? He said, um, no, I'm having, having lunch with my friend Steve. Do you know Steve? The guy looked at me like... <laughs> He's like, he's like, no, no. He's like, oh, you should get to know Steve. He's, um, he's reading law. He's from Luton. He's the first person from his school to come here. And um, he's, you, sh you should chat. And the guy was like, no, the, the, the chance of you, you need to come with me now. And the guy said, I'm having dinner with my friend. And the guy looked at me as though it was my fault <laughs> and then walked off in a huff. And so I was like, it turned out this guy was like an archbishop from another country who'd flown in for this dinner. And he would say, I turned to him, I said, look, look, don't, please don't worry about me. It's been really nice chatting to you, but you, you should probably... And he said, I'm absolutely fine. Don't worry at all. 
And then he said, Stephen, tell me, what is it you want to do with your life? Now, I'd enjoyed the conversation before. He was friendly. He was a nice guy, okay? But now it's like, this guy's an archbishop. Like, this is the only time in my life I'm ever going to sit next to an archbishop. I have to make this count. So I was like leaning in. I was like, like doing the knife and fork properly. I was like, like focusing on everything he had to say. I was asking him questions. I was like soaking up every single word he said. Because part of me was like filled with awe, like this is like an actual archbishop. But part of me was just in wonder that of all the seats in the place he'd chosen to sit next to the least important person. Jesus is far more wonderful, far more awesome than any archbishop. I don't know if, how you feel when you think about Jesus. I think sometimes I lose my sense of awe at who he is. I have to be reminded by the Holy Spirit just how awesome in the true sense of that word Jesus is. That through Jesus all things were made and he sustains all things by his powerful word. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That in him is life. That he is the light of the entire world and the entire universe. That he's the radiance of God's glory. That at his word, things come into being that were not. That his promises are unbreakable. That people's lives and whole nations, destiny is transformed by his very voice. That billions worship him. That he is awesome. He is worthy of our awe. Yeah, here's the thing that just blows my mind. He's the Lord of all, worthy of our awe, and yet he comes close. He doesn't stand far off. He came close, he came to earth, he lived, he breathed, he healed, he restored, he comforted, he wept, he suffered to get close to us, to redeem us. He was willing to bear the sin of the world on his shoulders. He was willing to shed his blood to win us friendship with God. Though the barrier was great, he took it on. Though the penalty was severe, he willingly paid it. Why? Because of his great love for you. Because of his wonderful mercy when I realize that when I, when I remember that when the Holy Spirit reveals that afresh to me I'm filled with wonder wonder that the Lord of all the earth would do that to come close to me to win me my friend Ed was an atheist and He's a, a session musician, a vocal coach, kind of quite cool guy, hung out with a lot of bands. And he started going out with a young woman who was a Christian. And Ed didn't really understand her faith and um, didn't understand how important it was to her. And he'd kind of tease her about it sometimes. Sometimes he'd go a bit further and uh, mock her about it. And he'd kind of argue with her about it and ask her all these difficult questions. And um, He's a friend, so I can say he could be a little bit kind of arrogant at times, you know, and, uh, and would push and push and push. And after a while, she, she said, look, I just can't, can't really deal with this anymore. I just need you to, why don't you go on that alpha thing and just take, take, take your questions and your stuff there and see what happens. He was like, okay. He was like confident, kind of a little bit cocky, you know, kind of pitched up. And on the Wednesday um, of the third week, actually this Wednesday, there was a talk about um, what Jesus did on the cross. And afterwards, 
we were kind of in this little small group, and Ed was sitting there, and we were just going around, and he started trying to speak, but his voice broke a little bit, and he, his eyes kind of filled with tears. It was almost like there was this, there's something different about him, like this peace, this something someone was resting on him. And he said, I, I just, if that's true, if that's true, if Jesus did that, Jesus actually did that for me, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I don't know how, but I just want to thank him. That's the fear of the Lord. That's being overwhelmed with awe and wonder at who Jesus is and what he's done. It's experiencing the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. That though he is so glorious and wonderful and high and mighty and powerful and holy, he has come for us. And he knows us. And he loves us. And though that would be enough, he goes further. And the Spirit testifies to your spirit and says, it's even better than that. He's adopted you as a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son of the Most High God, that you come as a co-heir with Christ. You come as a child of God because of what Jesus has done. And the Spirit encourages you and fills you with hope and joy and purpose and meaning, puts that courage into you. That's what encourage means, literally, to have courage poured into you so it changes you. And when you see that, that God loves you, is powerful to transform, is awesome to act, is wonderful in mercy. And his love for you doesn't change like the ties because he's adopted you as his child. You don't have to fear events because the Lord who is sovereign is for you. You don't have to fear people because your Father in heaven delights over you and his is the only opinion that ultimately matters and you don't have to let fear take root in your heart because you've been captivated by a greater devotion, a greater awe, a greater wonder, a greater fear. Your fear has been displaced by awe at Jesus Christ and his glory. So fear might fly around your head but it can't take root in your head. It can't take root in your heart. Sorry fear, there's no room in my head because I'm convinced of the favor of God. There's no room in my heart because I am convinced of his love because he's poured his love into my heart by his Holy Spirit. And when that happens, it changes things. You can approach this week, this month, this year, free from fear, confident that you are known and you are loved and you've been captivated by the one who loves you. In Jesus' name, amen.